Hey, Triple M listeners, this is David interjecting from the future. I wanted to thank you all for listening to this episode and somehow getting past my singing at the beginning of it. We all know how difficult it is to listen to that for any extended period of time. As we joked about the scanning of actors in this, uh, in this film, Looker, at the time we recorded it, I had made some jokes about how it was easier to you know, create a computer-generated background and use real actors. But one of the things that happened since we did re-recording is that the SAG strike brought up a number of issues, including the fact that uh, studios now want to do full body scans of actors or background actors, and then they can use those scans to drop into... TVs and movies uh, at will. The actors essentially get paid for one day of work and then the studios have uh, control of their image in perpetuity. Kind of like a movie that we're discussing. So Crichton, once again, in his future uh, imagining, uh, you know, his theoretical future ideas, has again, come up with something that uh, is prevalent in today's society. So I did want to jump in and acknowledge that. I ache for the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. Tonight on the show, we are yeeting ourselves off buildings and getting millimeter level of plastic surgery with the best plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. That would be Dr. Larry. Uh, tonight, I am joined by the incomparable David Smith, and who joined me for uh, the Don't Look Now episode, which uh, by the time this airs, you will have already heard it, and he's brilliant, which is why I brought him back. So, David, hi. Hey, Erin. She's looking. Looking. That's what they say. Yeah. Oh, it's been in my head. I swear to God, not only has it been in my head, but like it's on my Spotify. Yep. It's such an earworm. It's great. It's great. It is. And the music itself, the score of this movie is basically just a variation on that theme. Yeah, they they recycle that quite a bit, although the. the do, composer, let's uh, my notes, Barry DeVorzen. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did a great job. He kind of created that fun electronic score that's very kind of almost a little John Carpenter-esque at times. Yes, very. In fact, we're going to talk about some, there's some Carpenter stuff here, especially yep. with like, I, I, there are shades of Halloween 3 in this movie. Very, yeah, all over it. Very much. <laughs> All right, we are talking about 1981's Michael Crichton, written and directed movie Looker. Gorgeous models are uh, ending up dead, and it's up to Beverly Hills plastic surgeon and Lori from the Partridge family to save the day. So, what is your background with this Bananas film? Well, it's one of those films that I... 
I think I stumbled. I, I must have stumbled across it on cable. I, I didn't really, wasn't really familiar with it. And I think I must have flipped it on in the middle of a car chase or or the the, the scene where Albert Finney is in his uh, beach house and at the time there's weird time jumps going on. Yes. And I'm like, what is going on? But, and then I just skipped ahead. I don't think I actually watched the whole film until I was well in my 20s. Because uh, it just wasn't, you know, this, this wasn't one of the the, the big hits of the, uh, you know, uh, for me, it, it, like I didn't know anything about it. It didn't. It didn't really generate that much buzz. And it kind of developed as Crichton got Michael Crichton became bigger and bigger. You know, I think it was one of these films where it's like, oh wait, he did this thing. It was like this kind of weird sci-fi thing to go on check this one out. It's like, oh okay. Yeah, I li- I like to call this Michael Crichton dates a playmate. Because that's pretty. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty much like when you're watching it, you're kind of like. Ah, okay. And then you watch the behind the scenes or you listen to like you you find out about the behind the scenes and that Michael Crichton was dating Terry Wells, the very first the Playboy Playmate of the year 1981, um, uh-huh. who is uh, featured as Lisa Convey, the very first model that, you know, gets tangled up in her drapes, basically, and then falls off of a, a, off of her condo. Um, but she doesn't take the dog with her, and that was the important part. The takeaway from that scene it, which is that I think it was actually Michael Crichton's dog. Is that Teddy is okay? <laughs> Teddy was okay. She drops Teddy first before she goes flying off the building. So yes, this was Michael Crichton's fourth feature, and he knows the cardinal rule: you don't kill, don't kill dog. that dog. dog. <laughs> Do not kill that dog. That was it. I know. As soon as I saw Teddy, I was like, "Oh, please don't do it. I can't handle that right now." Um, so yeah, my background with this was I saw the opening scene of this movie when I was probably like five or six (laughs) on HBO and I knew absolutely nothing about it except for the song would be stuck in my head for 40 years and, um, and that the opening had this very beautiful woman in this incredibly gorgeous luxury apartment. And that apartment is incredible. Oh my god! I was like, "This is so awesome!" Like, she, it looks like it looks like the inside of a Barbie Dreamhouse commercial. <laughs> it's very pink. She's got this like insanely long, perfect hair. You know, she's wandering around in lingerie for her date, which as we do as mm-hmm. women. And uh, and then she answers the door in her lingerie and Maribel heels, as yep. we do as women. I, um, I you know, I mean, it's a thing, you know, but and it was just funny because I was like watching it and um, had never really seen it all the way through. I mean, I didn't really know anything about it other than Michael Crichton wrote and directed it. And the song has been stuck in the A track of my brain for 40 years. So, yes. But then once I saw it, especially once I saw it recently, uh, and I watched it with my mom, actually, and she was, which is funny because she hates Runaway. Like, we watched Runaway together. (laughs) Right. And she was like, this is the stupidest movie I've ever seen. God damn it, Tom Selleck, you know. Um, 
Whereas this one, she loved. She thought it was great. She thought it was brilliant. She thought it was really timely. She thought it was funny. Um, you know, it had a it had a lot of there's a lot of a lot of cooks in that. You know, um, but she uh, she really like connected with this one as opposed as as opposed to Runaway, <laughs> which apparently was just too was not was just too much. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, I mean, Crichton's. As a director, he's such a, an an odd beast. Like you were talking before, we were talking before that his films, either as a writer or a director, you know, there are themes that he is so on the nose, and then so he gets he gets so right, and then there's other stuff that he gets so wildly wrong. Yeah, it's that, I mean, but it may you know, the fact that this movie was made in 1981 and you can look at it now and realize that there's things that he's talking about back in 1981 that are so pertinent with today's, um, the way society views uh, advertising and and commercial. And, you know, I spent 15 years working in, you know, on commercials in post-production and, you know, I, I for me, it's a, you know kind of understanding a little bit about the visual language and working with directors and 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 cinematographers on that how to achieve the you know sort of attention grabbing things for commercials. It's fun to go look at this and say, when we discuss the blonde, we'll, we'll it'll tie up. But uh, it it uh... yeah, this especially with um. I don't want to say society's addiction to social media, but I will say no. that like there's generational addictions to social media, especially the the one that's like under not not under us, but like under under us, I guess. Um is it's very much a ghost of Christmas future movie. Mm-hmm. You know, especially now that I see a lot of people doing the AI stuff and the deep fake and the all of that that yeah. that is in this film and you think about it and at the time this movie was a bomb this movie did not do well at the box office it did not no. make any of its money back at all but, but I'm pretty sure be- one of the reasons I, I stayed away from it for so long right didn't want because i read the leonard malton review oh he hated this oh. <laughs> I think it was Ebert. Ebert was like, it was a great idea, but it was poorly executed. And it's yep. like, yeah. it just described a good portion of Michael Crichton's movies right there. Crichton goes 50 50 because it's like he had three bangers right out of the gate in the 70s. And then he, then in the 80s, he got very silly. Yeah. Which my mother's a huge Andromeda Strain fan. Like she, she was the one who yeah, named well, yeah, that. And, the, and he only wrote that one. But I right. don't know. But, you know, he he did Westworld. He did um, uh, Coma, mm, Coma, he did, uh, Great Train Robbery with Sean Connery, and those are all great films. Right, much fun. And then, uh, and then in the in the eighties, he did Looker, Runaway, and Physical Evidence, and which are which have their merits in some cases, but they're not uh, nearly as well regarded as. Uh, yeah, this is like a bonbon film. Yeah, like it is. It's it doesn't have. It's not particularly, you know. It it's not particularly thought provoking necessarily, but it it makes you kind of go, oh wow, like we're kind of living in this world right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking to my mom about plastic surgery 
uh, as it was in the 80s, like in the Mm -hmm. early 80s. And she was telling me about how that was something that was very hush hush. And you did not advertise it. You did not, you know, say, oh, you know, like I had plastic surgery with blah, 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 blah. It was like very much a almost like the dark secret of Hollywood kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. No one, no one talked about it. No one, you know, plastic surgery was sort of the science fiction thing to make James Bond villains all look alike. It was right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we open this movie with a perfume commercial. Yes. Or ravish perfume, <laughs> uh, headed by the incredibly gorgeous can't can't even begin to touch how gorgeous this woman is, Terry Wells, uh, who was the Playboy Playmate of the month in May, and then she became the Playboy Playmate of the year of 1981, and coincidentally also was dating Michael Crichton at the time that they made this film. How did she get cast? Um. So weird. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he was, I mean, you know, he's like thumbing through a magazine. It was like, oh my God. Yeah, I'm sure. You're gorgeous. But what's funny is that, so this movie comes out October of 81, right? Mm-hmm. She gets married to a hockey player in 81. Oh. So, so it didn't last that long. Oh, well. <laughs> Crichton was like, I'm going to put you in my movie. <laughs> come audition for me young woman um and i mean terry wells is absolutely gorgeous is. is not the best actress on the planet she doesn't have much to say she, or- she has a very hard time getting out that her areola is five millimeters apart and can we just talk about that for a second yeah yeah so let so we have okay all right anyway so we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're ahead of ourselves. We've gotten ahead of ourselves. We've gotten straight areola. And we uh, we open on this perfume commercial that Lisa Convey, who is a commercial actress, is acting in. Mm-hmm. She then transitions to meeting with a Dr. Larry Roberts, Beverly Hills plastic surgeon, played by Albert Finney, uh, at his office, asking for minuscule changes. Point five millimeters and point. Yeah, two, my my uh, my eyes are too whatever. And she's like, and I have a tiny bump on my chin. I have a mole on my ribs, and 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 once again, my areolas are five millimeters apart. And I'm like, yeah. it, did she mean to? Was that a typo? Yeah, I think she just. It, it's very clinical sort of dialogue, and I think it's just. You know, it, it's like when when on Star Trek, where when actors have to spill, you know, belt out a bunch of techno jargon. It's like right. it, it, you either can roll, but either rolls off the tongue or it doesn't. No, because she tried. She has a very hard time getting the word areola out. Yeah, like she it, goes, "My areola." Like, like, can you can you confirm or deny? Um, but my areola is five millimeters apart. And I went, yeah. So anyway. Um, so obviously she's got to get on that table stat because yep, yeah, because got she's got computer print out with all of her uh, flaws on there. She and she gives it to him, and he's kind of like, I need to go consult with my other doctor friend. So he I'm goes off smoking, uh, right? Which is funny because the other guy, um, who's played by Daryl Hickman, that's Dwayne Hickman's brother from uh-huh. uh, Dobie Gillis. Um, so Daryl Hickman 
has like the the what I call the Ron Silver beard. <laughs> Remember that look? That look yeah. in the eighties, right? And I was like, see, he looks like a doctor. He like does. he's he's walking around. He's got the scrubs on and the beard. And I was like, yeah, he looks like every guy that used to hang out with my dad in the eighties. Well, like I mean, Crichton, of course, you know, was a, a medical. Mm-hmm. You know, doctor before he became right. a screenwriter and, and author and, and right. director. And you can tell all of this medical jargon, you know, the, the, he's got a, there's a great walk and talk when uh, Albert Finney arrives at the office, you know, a, a couple scenes later. And you can tell that he is just, Crichton is in his element as a director. Oh, and yeah. Everyone is dialed in and he just loves all this medical stuff. And, and, uh, so of course, you know, the doctor's office and the nursing staff and all that is, is going to oh, be yeah. very kind of, you know, right. very good. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, we're in ER territory now. <laughs> yeah. The, the nursing staff, which by the way, is 90% playmates. <laughs> yeah, Cause we've got Gina, Gina Keo's in there. Uh, yeah. A couple of other, a, a couple other stars from Friday the 13th are in there. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Like, oh, okay. Um, but my father's office was also wall to wall women. So I get it. Um, so he's talking. My favorite is, is he's talking to this doctor and the doctor goes, yeah, she's a space case. <laughs> he's like, how many of these actresses have you done so far? Two, three, three. with these weird changes. These big, bizarre micro. These microscopic changes and he's like yeah, all right he's like you do her i'll take her out yep and he's like because she's a looker and then we yeah. get our opening which which is just boobs it's That's right. <laughs> yes. terry it's terry yep. wells uh getting basically scanned in, in um, our pg film we have oh, very, you know, very booby PG film here. Absolutely, it's a very nudity heavy, uh, PG rated movie because it's not PG thirteen. No, this is no. before. This is before three that. years before that. Yeah. So she goes in there, and he agrees to do these weirdo surgeries on her, and uh, and then we see her, uh, some passage of time at one point <laughs> where she's where she's been healed. She's healed you know, miraculously from these tiny little changes. And she's in her luxury apartment, uh, which is, I mean, like I said, it is, it the looks Barbie like the Barbie dream house commercial that I used to see as a kid. And, but it's just come true. Right. And she's wandering around there. She's got her dog. And then she's waiting for Bob, her, her boyfriend who's oh. coming to visit her. Not to be confused with Bill from the perfume commercial, by the way, right. a few different dudes. Um, and she, she, you know, she wanders uh, to answer the door as it has, as she's heard a knock and she's wearing her black lingerie set with her high heels. And she's just, as you, you know, do. as you do, absolutely, as a woman. And she opens the door and all of a sudden we see this flash of light yes. and you're like, what the hell just happened? And, and she looks confused. And she doesn't know what's going on either. Even more, even more confused than normal. Yes. Yeah. And uh she just kind of she's kind of dazed and she just sort of shakes her head and then she which is interesting with this scene because we don't know as an audience yet that this is a passage of time. 
No, no, we're we're just as sort of disoriented. We're just like, what did they just do? Yeah, exactly. And There's then a glass uh, of light and something else, and the dog is now in a different spot and, in the and, apartment. Yes, and now now the dog has gotten trapped in the closet, uh, a la R. Kelly, and she has to let the dog out of the closet, and she does, and she's picking the dog up, and she gets a, another flash, and that she notices on the bed that there is a suitcase that is open mm-hmm. with a gun shaped with an impression the yeah. impression missing right so and yet she's still just kind of like oh that's odd and she uh she well she basically wanders into her drapes uh gets yep. caught up in the dra- in the drapes <laughs> and then falls off, me. falls off the balcony to her death <laughs> oh. as these things happen but the dog is okay. Okay. Yes, she drops the dog before she. Uh... Yes, she drops the dog, and and as you said before, this is actually this was Michael Crichton's dog. I I, I think this I think there I found a, a comment where he he talks about in the commentary where it's like yes my dog did a good job. Good, so. good. Hey, <laughs> all right. So the next morning, um, we're back at the office, and Cindy, that would be another one of the women that he's done this work on, uh, played by. Susan Day of Partridge Family and L.A. Law fame. I was looking at it as like I was not, um, I did not watch L.A. Law growing up. I did not watch. I didn't watch the Partridge Family. Yeah. Uh, So I, this is really the only thing I've seen her, but she's really good in this one. Yeah, she's great. I like her. She's a very like tough cookie kind of character, but she's beautiful. Yeah. She's beautiful, but she's also got a a toughness and she's got a, 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 like a playfulness about her too. Mm -hmm. She, she keeps it. She finds that kind of light, fun kind of. Although she is, she is really hot for Doctor Larry. She like <laughs> she is. I fucking him from across the room all the time, and she, it's she, very strange because you're like Albert Finney. I can totally see you know Daryl Hickman, but Albert Finney is like this is not exactly Tom Jones Albert Finney anymore. Right? We're, I know this is like <laughs> old man Finney. This is where we're we're now deep in Wolfen and under the volcano. We're very much into Wolfen. Very soused at uh, this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yet he is like the you know the 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 sex god, plastic surgeon of Beverly Hills. So don't I? God bless. Yeah. We we love Albert Finney though. He's a great well, actor. But he's but, a great actor. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he's a wonderful actor. But and yeah, he, sex symbol not so. No, not so much. Um. So the next day, Cindy comes in to now. Is Cindy coming in post op, or is she just coming in for more work? No, she she is coming. She's post op, and Albert Finney is there to kind of review. You know, this is like last looks, right? Like microscopic changes. See how it all came out. We please stop chewing gum, right? (laughs) We get it. You're a model. You don't eat, but please stop chewing gum. (laughs) We understand and. You know, like, will you sit still and stop flirting with me as I'm trying to review the, uh, you know, <laughs> the changes to your She just, she wants like, I don't date my patients. I told you that over and over again. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then so, so she, she ends up leaving and then, ah, and then we meet a cop. Patient. Oh, or do we, do we meet the, do oh, we meet wait. the cop or do we meet Tina? You're right. It's the, uh, uh-oh. Yeah, I know. Damn it. Fact checking. <laughs> at some point we meet policeman played by dorian harwood uh dorian harwood always great 
he's great because he's full metal jacket against all odds um yeah. and apparently he has to have a prolific career as a cartoon voiceover guy yes yes which and i and he's written sudden death too sudden death yes yes so that's lieutenant masters and he comes in and oh and it's important to point out that during terry wells i'm gonna fall off this that's building the uh, somebody somebody has left a, a very distinct round leather button on her bed yes, yes. uh you know to frame Obviously, our 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 Doctor Larry, yeah, Doctor Larry, Doctor Larry, really uh, murdering these patients, right? And clearly, for whatever reason, so Lieutenant Masters does not believe him for one second that he's not fucking his patients because he asks him, he's like, "Do you sleep with your patients?" No, no, I don't do that. But uh, but some of them are crazy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Space cadets. Space cadets, Raven. <laughs> She's a space case. <laughs> uh, so he comes in and interviews him and tells him, you know, so obviously Lisa is Lisa fell off a building. Lisa jumped to her death. Uh, Susan, another one of your patients, has run her car into a pile into a freeway piling, mm-hmm. and uh, and that leaves the other two, Tina and Cindy. And we've met Cindy. And when the cop leaves, then Tina comes rolling in looking ridiculously disheveled. But the cop doesn't leave before noticing that the pens in his office match the pen that they found in. Absolutely. uh, And that he just so happens to be wearing the jacket that is missing the uh, button. That's right. Leave. So Lieutenant Masters is thoroughly convinced that Albert Finney is just offing his patients. Yep. <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah, because, you know, that makes sense. Uh, so Tina comes in. She's all disheveled. And she's trying to explain, you know, they're killing all the girls that are too perfect. You have to change me back. You have to change back all of the things that you did. And he just thinks, like, well, she's nuts, obviously. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, taught the police. And she's like, no, you can't tell the police. They're in on it, you know. So it's that's why I say that's where it takes this very like Halloween three turn, right? Where you're like, oh, shit. Like the whole, you know, all of Beverly Hills is in on this wild secret of conspiracy. Everybody's in on it. This conspiracy, you know. Um, And she tells him that she is going to go to Chicago to visit her parents. And she's just basically just going to get out of Dodge. That's what she's going to do. So then she says, has the man with the mustache been here? (laughs) This poor bastard, the man with the mustache played by Tim Rosovich. That's Rick Rick Rosovich's brother. uh, And also um, uh, Tom Selleck's former roommate. Tom Selleck's former roommate at USC, uh, UCLA, UCLA, and like, former, and he was a used to, he was a football player for the Eagles. Eagles, yeah. Can uh, you imagine just the mustache action? I mean, that room, that game, Plum and Tim. Good lord, good lord, I, that are, is. Those are some unreal mustaches, dueling mustaches. I know. I mean, I, know. I, I would not know what to do, but yeah. So, so the mustache man, uh, Tim Rosovich. Um, has no lines in this movie, but he is absolutely He's got amazing. Great screen presence. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because his job is basically just to like 
skulk behind corners and <laughs> hulk hulk around and, and and yeah and be threatening and be threatening and be threatening and scary um so she so so she decides all right well i've got to go back to my apartment and clean it or, or get get the rest of my stuff she leaves her purse and her pocketbook and her appointment book and pretty much as all her stuff do. as women do which is total crazy you know and Dr. Roberts finds a vial of cocaine, mm-hmm. of which I had to explain to my mother what it was, because she was like, what's that? What is that? I was like, mom, that's that's cocaine. And she's like, oh, it's so small. And I was like, well, yeah. You know. Expensive stuff. Travel. Oh, yeah, right. That's travel size. That's what that is. So she uh, so so Dr. Roberts looks at all her stuff and realizes that she's got this printout from a company called Digital Matrix. That's right. DMI. Digital Matrix Incorporated, who has asked that she had these changes done. So uh, Larry follows her to her apartment, which is actually, it's funny because like you look at like Terry Wells' apartment and then you look at Tina's apartment and it's like, man, does Tina not make as much money? I I, I you know, like, it, there, there's, there's different scales. Like, one's a supermodel. You know, someone's doing the Victoria's Secret spreads and someone else is doing JC Penny. Yeah, because Tina's spreads. Tina's apartment, it, Tina's apartment is like straight up like, yeah, you know, like a apartment you'd see in like Vice Squad. You know. Um <laughs> so she, that would be the second episode in which I have name checked that movie. So she uh she's up there trying to like get all her stuff together and Mustache Man shows up, stuns her yep. in some way. And she just yeets herself off that building. I mean, she like another one falls off the balcony. She flies off the balcony and smashes into a station wagon. And when I say yeah, when I say smashes into a station wagon, we are talking. There are no cuts here. This is obviously a stunt woman, and in lingerie, mind you, a stunt woman in lingerie slamming body slamming into a station wagon that's windows are blown out and then rolling onto the ground it's amazing it's a yeah it it, great great stunt and of course albert finney arrives just in time to witness this right and the cop of course does not believe that he didn't throw her off this building no no, in fact he has a there's a great line. He says, worst goddamn story I ever heard. Yes. Yeah. It's like, worst goddamn story I ever heard. I was like, oh, okay. So, meanwhile, um, let's see what happens. Okay. So, he decides he's going to go to a party at the Rustin Mansion, I guess. That's right. And, uh, but. He was invited. Yeah. He was invited. Dog, he was invited there and to go to the he, yeah because it's something about a burn unit. It, it's they were going to give him money to start a burn unit. He wants to do the burn unit, but he also had done work on a senator that Reston was backing. Okay. Um, okay. And it's the same senator that pops up uh, in the in the video at the end. Mm, creepy looking dude too. Yeah. The yeah. Um, so he invites uh, Susan Day. Um, right as his date so he can keep an eye on her yes yeah he he picks her up from her job at starting line lingerie um (laughs) which which is clearly the 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 b squad 
of these women. Like, you're kind of like, like if Fredericks of Hollywood was just a little skankier, yep. just a tiny bit skankier, you would have these women. And so he, he invites her and she's like, I'm not much for parties. And he's like, it's at Reston's house. And she's like, Reston, the guy who owns all of the commercial, who does all of the commercials in town. Right, yeah. Of course I will come with you and be your date. Because I want to fuck you. So that kind of. Albert Finney. It charts. Yeah, exactly. Can't can't stay away from the Albert Finney. So that night at the party, they're basically wandering around. We meet James Coburn, who's played, who, who plays Rustin. And, you know, they're kind of doing a walk and talk. They're talking about this burn unit and how he wants to put in like, I think, four million dollars into it. And, you know, he's kind of blowing smoke got, up his ass. He's got money to burn, essentially. He's Ta- yes. there with power and strings and wants. And then we are introduced to the glazed over stare and irrational joy that is Jennifer. That yeah. would be Mr. Jennifer. Yeah, Jennifer is is exactly. I'm like, is Jennifer Reston's wife? Question mark, or is it his just his partner? I, I always imp- got the impression it was his wife, but okay. um, it's never made explicit. But I assume that that they were a power couple. I thought so too, except that later on, spoiler alert, when we lose Jennifer. Kristen doesn't really care. Well, his, his, his I, reaction I mean, to her death is like uh, Kristen isn't making a very a lot of smart choices at that point, anyways. <laughs> but we'll get into that. Next. We'll get to that. So we meet Jennifer, and Jennifer is the head of a company called Digital Matrix Incorporated. Oh, what it's awesome! Full circle. And at the table, at the dinner table, uh, while uh, Cindy eye fucks him from across the room. We find out that they know that these patients of his have been dying in these mysterious ways. And uh, Reston even asked, you know, like, oh, we don't want any controversy. And he's like, no, no, no. They were unstable. Yes. That was my favorite. It's like, yes, beautiful commercial actresses, unstable. Unstable. They're not well. And speaking of unstable, that night, Cindy gets really drunk. Cindy gets so drunk that Larry basically has to carry her home. Across the threshold, essentially. (laughs) Across the threshold into uh, his his Malibu fuck palace, um, which is beautiful. His house is absolutely gorgeous. Beverly Hills plastic surgeon beach house. That's exactly what I would picture it. Oh, so 80s. Oh, my God. With like that, like wet bar. Yeah. And uh, everything's perfect. And like a, a couch that just overlooks the beach, you know, it's just perfect. Yeah. Love it. But when I was doing my research and I was researching the locations of this, they didn't say anything about the Malibu Beach House other than I think I think they said that they had to they maybe had to construct it. To I, I think. Yeah, I think it had to be either composite or, you know, it's like some some shots were filmed. Right. In the location and some were. You know, you, you film one angle from from the beach house, and then you build a set uh, right. from the and then we, we do the reverse. But mm. this this film did go over budget, and uh, it took longer than they thought. Uh, oh yeah, big time. Even and, though he doesn't look it. <laughs> so Susan Day tries to seduce him, 
uh, awkwardly, Definitely. so awkwardly. And uh, and he's like, no, no, I can't. I can't. No, I have to put you to bed. Goodbye. Good night. And then the next morning, you know, he wakes up and he says, I'm going to take you to work today. At 630 in the morning. At 630 in the morning. And she's like, okay, I have a beach shoot to do. So, yeah. So then we're watching this beach shoot, which is kind of like a volleyball game. If in a volleyball game, a woman was shot with a crossbow in her spine and she had to collapse nine, 10, 11 times onto the sand. I don't think she's supposed to collapse. I think that they're there. What it is, is that as we're watching this commercial shoot, everybody on set is deferring their artistic choices to this computer uh, system that is in a van that's off the side. And so she and the, the people in the van are saying that you have to contort your body in a certain direction as you're leaping through the air. And then she's just, as she's trying to do this sort of contortion as she's going through the air, she just keeps landing weird in the sand and falling over. And it just, it, and it looks so painful and exhausting. And and uh, and and weekend at Bernie's is getting very Brandon upset. Brandon Wyatt Kaiser Kaiser Terry Terry oh, Terry Kaiser. Kaiser. Yeah, Terry Kaiser is not happy. No, he is not. He is not. He's, he's losing. And well, and trying to shoot a commercial instead of being dead and a marionette. Exactly. <laughs> he's very tired of this. And uh, Albert Finney is basically just wandering around the beach, and he ends up near that van. Mm-hmm. Owned by Digital Matrix, and he overhears Personally. them say specifically, like, you know, we we got to basically we got to fix it in post. Like, much, yeah, we we can't can't do this. She's done for the day. Send her to DMI headquarters. We'll fix it there. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know what that means, except that now Albert Finney has to drive her to this DMI headquarters, which is actually the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. That's right. It, yes. Beautiful. Unbelievably beautiful. I was like, dude, I'm going to plan a trip to California just so I can see all these like random weird things. But but yes, that's where they're going. So now they're going to, you know, he arrives there to accompany her on whatever it is that she needs to do. Jennifer shows mm-hmm. up. She's like, would you like a tour? And then, like I said, Shades of Halloween oh, 3. And she is right there at the front Immediate. gate. Yeah, she's at the front <laughs> gate. Yeah. She's, we knew you would our It's like, hello. But it's like, would you yes, like sir. a tour? Would you like a tour? <laughs> and during the tour, they like have Albert Finney watch this commercial. And mm-hmm. it's it's for uh, Liberty. Liberty Woman. Right. And I, I'm not sure if it's a deodorant. Maybe. I think. Uh, or or no, is it no, a... no, it was hairspray. Oh, it's, it's hairspray. hairspray. Uh, okay. That uh, is so powerful and strong that you can go swimming with it, and your hairspray hair will that's right. be fine. You you too can go windsurfing, and your hair stays <laughs> just fine. So they measure his his basically his ocular response, and it says, you know, he's like he's basically watching the woman, not the product, and that's when she and this, says, this is, and this is of course real technology, which Crichton and Crichton yeah. being the technophile that he is, is like this is real technology that commercials really do to kind of learn how people watch and this is like you know this is like where the sci-fi and the and the reality kind of right 
this is what he does so well as a director is he just just pushes that sort of reality to a little bit sci-fi but not and and it's all I love this is the fun stuff for me. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is such stuff. this is such a great scene because you know they tell him like you looked at the you looked at the woman, not the product, and that's no, not okay. Like the swimsuit, right? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> sure, Grandpa. Uh huh. Get you back to bed. Uh, yeah. So he just so so she's like, yeah, that's not going to work out. So then he asks about the models. And she talks about how Lisa, you know, got the work done by him and her scores went up. But then every time she would move, i.e. in the way you read that or the way I read that was every time she was human. Yes. Like every time she exhibited any and, and every time she wasn't just standing still looking pretty. Um her scores went down. And um, now there is a, this is very important because the fact that this is cut out of the film is just bananas to me. But in the TV version, yes, there's a whole scene with James Coburn where he talks about the fact that it is company policy that when a project is shelved or doesn't work out to basically shred all of the evidence which is what they were doing in killing all of these models and making sure that their faces were completely destroyed so that no one could go and steal the copyright idea whatever yeah it's it, it, the sort of thing where it's like we like this is proprietary proprietary yes thank and- you it, it, and yeah, it, it's the whole motivation for why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. It seems like it's a drastic overcompensation. Exactly. Exactly. But but at the same time, yeah, like but, but it makes I, I, sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I wish I wish they would have left that in there because otherwise you're just like, well, wait, did we just scrap this entire model plot? And it's like, yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, actually. yeah we did. Yeah. We, we got to get on. We got to get to the gum now. Come on. It's like, I'm sorry. We're switching gears here. There, there are gotta, there are two. We're, we're done with the models. We got to talk about the gun. We got to get the car chases. We got right. There, there are basically two films going on yeah. here. If you don't know that they are somehow connected, they have no the connective tissue that is, you know, explained. Tenuous. Here. It's like, uh, OK, so. While Edward Finney is learning this information about how commercials work, uh, Susan Day is getting naked and getting scanned. She's she's going into this this massive industrial, uh, yeah, looking. It's almost like a like a, it's like a meat grinder almost. <laughs> you're just with with without, without any railings. You're about three stories up in the air with no safety railings, and, right? she's gonna this thing looks dangerous right get naked and get scanned that's exactly what it is and they scan her entire body and they she's very funny about the whole oh yeah oh yeah purse Uh oh and they're like don't talk (laughs) please refrain from speaking but there's kind of stuff i mean this is again cutting it this is where he uses the 3d animation for the first time to um, 
you know, which I think it was the first time they used like 3D animation and shading or computer generated mm -hmm. shading in, yes. in, in film, you know, kind of real cutting edge stuff. This is before Tron was came out and all that. Um, exactly. So, you know, real state of the art, uh, you know, computer uh, visual effects here. Yeah. It was like, they're basically which, AIing her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they take Albert Finney to a room where they show that they're going to deep fake her voice. Yes. You know, where she's like, hi, I'm Cindy. I'm 18 to 25. I'm the perfect female type. I'm here to sell for That's you. And they just keep repeating it over and over again until the voice matches. And I'm thinking, holy fuck, it's deep fake. Like, this is it a is. thing that people are doing now. That's huge. And and I think about like Facebook right now is all about the AI. Like I, mm -hmm. everyone's playing with the AI, right? They're like, I want to make myself look younger or like a tiger or whatever. And people are doing this and figuring out ways to manipulate, you know, their appearance, their voice, their all of those things. Right. And it's just like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> 1981, Crichton could see it. 81, man. He's a fucking prophet. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the crazy thing is what yeah. he gets right is so interesting and what he gets wrong is so interesting. In, Absolutely. In the, oh. So uh, anyway, Cindy, Cindy watches the news and finds out yeah. that, unfortunately, all her friends are dead. <laughs> I mean, I said to my mom, I said, how does she not watch the news? And my mom said, because the news was only on once. It was only on in the morning and at night. Yeah, was, the news yeah. was not on all the time like it is today. And I thought, wow. To like uh, you know, AM radio or something like right. that. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. So, yeah, so she learns. She basically learns like, OK, I am a target. I am going to be killed somehow because i'm lumped in with this group of girls so she's like i'm gonna go I'm, I'm gonna go see my parents and talk to them for a little bit and i'll be back so she leaves oh, we missed an important plot point oh he, oh he five finger he, discounts a uh key card yeah, he, he doesn't he, he's not allowed into one room yes exactly room. the looker lab he is not allowed in the looker lab because Remember. quote it is a maintenance room even she's not allowed in there. And she's not allowed in there either. The key cards don't work. Uh, uh, so she's not allowed in there. You have to look realize some students. And then he five fingers. Like, the, a, uh, the whoever. Access James, card. James, James Morton's card. Whoever yeah. James Morton is, this poor <laughs> bastard, uh, he takes his card. So soon to be ex-employee. Soon to be ex-employee. So back at the condo, uh, Mustache Man, which, by the way, is his name. Yes. There is he does not have an actual name like Jenkins or anything. He's like his name is literally in the credits, Mustache Man. So Mustache Man shows up. I didn't catch that. That's great. Yeah, with a gun and uh and and basically hypnotizes, which is what this gun does, uh, and makes Albert Finney lose time. This is one yeah, this is one of the real showstoppers um of the film. This is this is the stuff that we love. Absolutely. Because, I mean, the clock, you know, the, the there are people on the beach, then there's nobody on the beach. Right. Um, there's, you know, he's standing there washing his hands and then all of a sudden the sink is overflowing. 
uh, you know, the, the, yeah, the bookcases keep changing. He's bookcases, got the fridge open, and then the, the RC, the RC cola has frozen and, over. Yep, yeah, there's oh. frost over everything in the fridge because he left it open. And, and, and then, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty bananas the way that they did it, and they did it in a a way that just worked. It's just a very like time stoppage kind of thing, you know. Mustache man is looking for that key card, and he's trying to be very subtle about it. And, hey. It's not happening because uh, Albert Finney has hidden the key card inside a piece of art. You can't find it. So Mustache Man's like, I give up. He leaves. Uh, meanwhile, Cindy's visiting her parents in probably one of the more like disturbing scenes, even though it's not necessarily a violent scene. It's a scene where she goes to visit her parents and her parents are basically just like ass deep into Barca loungers and they're watching television and they're watching specifically a comedy show where the subject is duck decoys. So decoys, right? Yeah. And they never look up from the TV because they're so into the television. They, her, her, her father tilts his head upward towards her, but he never looks her in the eye. And the mother never looks at her either. They're just so enamored with the TV. And later on, James Coburn will will say, you know, the average American spends one fifth of his life in front of a television. I'm like, yeah, those numbers don't add up anymore. No, no, no. We, we're now computers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we're about half of our lives at this point. <laughs> in front of a screen of some kind. Not necessarily the television, but in like a screen. Yeah. So. Yes, it's insane. So uh, so she comes back from her disturbing parent, you know, thing and sees that that the, that the Malibu fuck palace is is just awry. You know, there's water on the floor. RC Cola. It's just she's like, what happened here? And he's like, <laughs> it's a and she yeah, she delivers that line. So per- what, I mean, what? And- what been here and he's right i don't know anyway so that night albert finney goes back to rest to to uh digital matrix incorporated with his special key card and i i love how susan day is she's not dressed for recon at all no no she's wearing like a, a blue wrap dress she's just there to basically like okay i'm gonna be your sexy you know sidekick or whatever but i'm not i'm not scaling any buildings in this outfit i'll tell you that I I think again the the whole point is that Albert Finney just wants to keep her close so that nothing happens to her. But right, right. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I know that's the thing is that the when we start this movie out, Cindy is super hot for Larry, right? You know, yeah. she really wants to have sex with Albert Finney. But then as the movie progresses, you know, she there's it's more of a father daughter kind of thing. There's more of a yeah, and then then it, then it turns, but. I mean, I think I, I think it's also that he rebuffs her advances. You know, it's like he he keeps it at a very platonic level, and she doesn't push it at a certain point because. And then when she realizes that he's keeping her close because his patients are dying and her friends are dying, that I think right. it, it's just a different dynamic between them at that point. Now that now they're now they're just teaming up to find out what's mm-hmm. going on. right. They're the they're they're it's Scarecrow and Mrs. King. You know, sorry. Yeah. So. They've decided uh, they're going to go they're going to they're going to go to Digital Matrix and he uses 
James Morton's key card to get in. And he's like, the only lab, the only room I can't get into is the looker lab. So they go over to the looker lab and he tries to put the key card in and it won't go. Won't go. So he's like, shit, I can't do that. But that's okay because Roomba to the rescue. Uh, they have discovered that there is a maintenance uh, robot that is walking or whatever that is moving around the building very slowly and slowly right slowest slowest Roomba ever (laughs) and they decide you know what we are rather than follow this Roomba into the maintenance room what we're actually going to do is just ride the Roomba so they get on top of the Roomba and ride the (laughs) but but, but you're saying Roomba but this thing's about the size of the uh, yeah it's a big (laughs) it's a big, big Roomba it's what they had anticipated would happen with the Roomba. They didn't think and the Roombas. Looked, and it looked, and you, I think I, I heard you slip and say, called it Lois for a second. It does, it does look very much like the robots that run away. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Lois. Poor Lois. Oh, poor Lois. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've made hot dogs for dinner. Okay. So they get on top of the they get on top of the they get on top of the Roomba and they ride it into the looker lab and here's where we find out what's been going on behind the scenes. And David, what does looker actually stand for? Looker stands for the light ocular oriented kinetic emotive responses. Yay. All right. And the the it looker is an gun. Acronym. The looker gun is an auto-hypnotic, suggestible trance object that... There has never been a gun made like this ever before in the history of... Yeah, right. Read the script. Exactly. As he's flipping it all. Well, auto-hypnotic, suggestible trance. All of my training as a plastic surgery has made me understand this manual as to what this gun is. Look at these pictures. Oh, my. Yeah. So... He finds, he does, he finds this giant manual, which explains the plot of the movie, basically. So then Mustache Man shows up because Mustache Man has been downstairs the whole time with the security guard who's watching a game. And Mustache Man notices that James Morton, LOL, has been trying to get into a room for the past 15 mm-hmm. minutes and it keeps getting denied. So he figures, you know, he's, he's, he's not just a pretty mustache face. Nope. He, he's a, he knows his, he knows a security detail. He, he figures it out. And so he goes we up forgot there. One other thing. Oh, what did I forget? As, as, as Colburn is, or not Colburn, as Albert Finney is fascinated with the gun, Susan Day is oh. hypnotized by the television. Right. Susan Day starts watching a commercial for, warrior detergent oh my god and which the and the woman in the warrior detergent commercial is the nurse in halloween 2 that michael myers basically just picks up by her back with a scalpel uh and then her shoes fall off um and and she's like you know oh i i got married and i have a college degree and all i do is clean this kitchen (laughs) And then Warrior shows up and he's like, I'll fuck you. And yeah. And then that's the commercial. Basically. Yeah. She leaves her husband for the. It's like an amalgam of the old Mr. Clean commercials. Yes, indeed. Yes, it is. 
So while Susan Day is watching this commercial, her eyes become hypnotized by basically by the eyes of the actors, question mark, um, in the commercial. And, you know, we start to learn that there is something much more nefarious going on here. Yeah, the looker technology is not only for the gun, but it's also being broadcast in a much lighter form through the commercials to hypnotize the viewers. People into doing things, basically, into whether it's buying a product. I I wish that was made clear because. Yeah. Yeah, because the the, anytime someone's hypnotized, they just kind of stand there and do nothing. Yeah, there's never really. (laughs) But, but. But I, there is a little like thing that happens when she's watching the commercial, which is in the commercial, they go, I want it. And then she starts to repeat it back. She says, I want it. I want it. I want it. And then it's like, you know, uh, know, shake, 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 snap out of it, you know. Um, So meanwhile, Mustache Man shows up and he lookers, uh, looker, looker guns. Albert Finney and then just beats the shit out of him for a, like means, eight I, minutes. This fights, I love this fight scene. They, 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 if you, if for those of you who have not seen this film, uh, and it's kind of watching current thing, it reminded me of <clears throat> there's a you know, one of the Marvel series that came out. Um, uh, uh, Moon Knight had these fight scenes that were all of a sudden time lapses in the middle of the fight where it's like how did i get here at this point i play you know i'm driving a truck and all of a sudden i'm in a different point in the road albert and albert finney's fight in looker is very much like that where he's getting punched in the face and then he, he kind of wakes up and then he gets punched in the face again and then and he, they, they do all these incredible kind of practical stunts of him flying through plate glass windows there's a great shot where he's just getting thrown through this, this massive plate glass window and Crichton, uh, you know, had learned at this point to, uh, use, not to use stunt doubles for some of this, um, some of the stuff, especially during like great train robbery, where I think uh, he, he wanted the old sackers to do his own stunts mm. and, and making Finney kind of do this as well. And it really kind of sells, sells this, this, rather ridiculous fight because in the end uh, Finney just winds up with a fat lip even though he's getting thrown around for a good 15 minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, he's getting punched in the stomach, thrown around, thrown through plate glass, um, you know, and yeah, he ends up with like like a slight bruised, <laughs> yeah, a bloody a bloody lip and that's it. Two you know? of these punches would have landed me in the hospital for a week. Oh and, my <laughs> god. He's fine. He's like, no, I'm all right. Uh, and then he figures out that if he puts on sunglasses, it'll reflect the looker gun back to the other person. Mm-hmm. So, a la Corey Hart, he puts the sunglasses on at night and it reflects the light back into Mustache Man's eyes and lookers him. So it's a looker off, basically. They're just lookering each other back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it enables Albert Finney to just beat the shit out of Mustache Man. Also. So... Yes. And at that point, Larry finally finds Cindy and runs off. They they figure out that, you know, they're they're uh, they're in trouble. So they leave DMI and Larry actually takes her to the plastic surgery office. Um, I so I was thinking about this. I was like, why wouldn't she do You know, and then I'm like, well, maybe it's because 
it's a medical, you know, like it's a medical building, you know? And so maybe like yeah. he thinks like, okay, if she's hurt, I can take care of her here. I think it's that. And I think it's also, he knows that he can't, you know, her house is probably not safe. His and house is definitely We not know safe. his house is not safe. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, it, you know, economy of locations, I guess, this is the one place left in the, in the movie. Right. That, that, of course, it never occurs to him, maybe we should go to the police, but. No. <laughs> no. no. I know. We we have not seen our. Uh, our Marian our... Harrowood has, has been. Nope. He he kind of he kind of disappears through like a good hour of this movie. Yeah, considering you know he must how much he thought Albert Finney was a suspect, he really doesn't um, do very much. And there's but a it's... moment. Okay, so now Mustache Man has brought some friends, and those friends have brought some bullets. Yes. So there's no more. I mean, although there are the look, the looker guns do exist still. Now we're actually talking about real guns and real bullets. And they bring something else too. They yeah, bring that's the smokescreen thingy. It brings the steam generators to steam. help diffuse, right. yeah, to diffuse the looker beam. If Albert, because Albert Finney has now acquired a looker gun, right, and can use it, they don't want to get hit. So the steam helps uh, diffuse it. Exactly. They... And then Cindy is taken in all of the hullabaloo. Like mm -hmm. they've they've taken Cindy. And the next thing we know, Albert Finney is in yet another looker off with Mustache Man, except that they're both driving different yeah. cars. But by, by the way, it was nighttime in the office, and now it's the middle it's of the day. The middle of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Something tells it's like something Just, telling me that maybe large chunks of this film may have wound up on the end on the cutting room. Shocking. Yes. So they're they're driving, they're lookering each other. Uh, they're you know and, time's freezing and yeah. it's awesome. But <laughs> then so silly and, and at and some so point, Albert Finney basically lands inside of a fountain. Yes, in, yeah, in his Porsche. Yeah, gets out of his Porsche while all of these cops are like milling about. Decides, I'm gonna take a nap in this cop car, as you do. And uh, hides in the back seat of this cop car, but it turns out it is not a cop car at all. It's actually a Reston right. Industries security vehicle. Uh, -huh. uh It's actually Unit yeah. Twelve, by the way. Yeah, that's, that's it. Is. <laughs> so, so he gets and they're out. very nonchalant when he uh, wakes up in the back, and yeah, yeah, he wakes up in the back, and they're just like, "Huh." Like we're taking you to Reston Industries, and he's just yeah, like, he's back here, and we're taking him in. Right. And they're like, he's like, do you know anything about Looker? And they're like, Looker? Ha, ha, ha. Like, they don't know. And so he's like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity for me to Looker you guys. And then he does. Yep. So and the after they've gotten to the, the rest of, oh, and, and Reston, of course, is getting ready for the big black tie event where they're going to unveil the, uh, the the DMI the, the, technology, the technology. Yeah. yeah the the looker technology and how the looker technology is going to affect the future, i.e. the political future and the future of commercials, the future of consumerism. You know. Yes. So so here's where yeah exactly like here's where you're like oh holy shit this is timely but at the same time like I said this movie you know takes a lot of turns man takes a lot of yep. turns Crichton. 
Crichton threw a lot of shit, threw a lot of stuff at that wall, you know? And then, and then, so, so yeah, he lookers the cops and, and changes into a security guard outfit. Right. Where he's just so wandering around, walking around for in a security guard, which a, he doesn't really look like a security guard. So no. <laughs> he's very out of place in this outfit. And uh, meanwhile, he he ends up on another floor, which is where they film all of these commercials. And it looks like he wandered onto the set of Tron. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, you got. It's a it's an automated floor that's filled with sound stages, and the sound stages can move around, and you can project the, you know, the actor, the digital actors onto the sound stages, and create new commercials that way. Exactly. Which you're not even at this point. We're not even using real people anymore. This is all AI. This is all deep fake. You know, this is all trickery that they're using uh, to basically to 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 sell these products, you know. And this is and again, this is where we, we joke about where Crichton gets things, you know, sort of right, but also sort of wrong. Is that you're using, like, I'm sorry, you're creating computer generated people, but you're building real sets. Real sets. Real sets. Real people in a fake set. in, in a right. green generated set which is what we do today exactly okay yeah it's like he's sort of right but they didn't quite get it but exactly so like with the ai um you know with with the uh defakes and things like that but but that's the it's it's so crazy like yeah just because I'm thinking about how my um, my podcasting software has the deep fake option where mm. you basically have to uh, recite uh, this long thing, this long dialogue that they give you and they record it for like it's like a 30 minute thing that you have to do. And then mm-hmm. that enables the computer to deep fake your voice later in case you forgot to say something during a podcast or you want to change a word or whatever, like it allows them to do that. But now that I've seen this movie, I'm just like, good. You know what? If I fuck up, I fuck up. I don't really need anybody having my voice. No, that's horrifying to me. Now. <laughs> Thanks, Crichton. I appreciate that. Oh, so meanwhile, Mustache Man, uh, who we thought was pretty smart, sees a silhouette through a sh- through, a silhouetted shadow uh, through a screen. Well, yeah, that... well, well, Susan Day and uh, just Jennifer, oh, Jennifer. Jennifer, yeah, Jennifer has they're, taken they're Susan in, Day con- So they're in the control room of this uh, this automated soundstage, and they know that Albert Finney is wandering around, uh, hiding from everyone there. And she goes down to because you know she's equipped to, to take care of him. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Oh no, they're he's ruining everything. Uh, and then Mustache Man shoots her. Shoots her. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I've caught a glimpse of my shadow occasionally while I'm walking the dog, you know. Yeah. And most of the time, I can kind of tell that I'm a woman. Like I can kind of tell. I'm like, oh look, boobs, you know. Like I can. So. When this poor, you know, when Jennifer, when he sees Jennifer through the screen, I mean, 
It's obvious it's Jennifer. <laughs> and, yeah. he's, he's a little trigger happy. And he just shoots her. He shoots her with his silencer through the thing. And so and so she's basically bleeding out on the on the on the floor. Um, and as as all this is going on, we've got the presentation to all the black tie uh, contributors downstairs that are watching the commercial demos as uh, this this cat and mouse thing is going on on right. the stage. So I'm seeing Mustached Man in the middle of a warrior uh, commercial or kids eating breakfast or or a, a couple lying in bed where the husband can't get to sleep and they and somehow mustache man has ended as ended up in the bed with them. That's right. Yes. Which of course, which takes takes all the audience members right out of the uh, the hypnotized. Uh, See, yeah, because they're like, what the hell is that? It doesn't make any sense. They're, that doesn't make any sense. The yeah. score has the perfect score is now gone all the hell. Everything's gone to hell. Reston's running around going, okay, what the fuck's going on? I need to stop this immediately. Yep. So now Reston is in the studio and yep. he's trying to find everybody. He's got a gun. He's got a gun because as the CEO of the corporation, you're going to want to take care of this personally. Yeah. Him. And now he's become trigger happy. He doesn't give a shit. He shoots. He shoots mustache man. He's mustache man. Mustache man goes down. Albert Finney, meanwhile, has hidden inside of a car that they're advertising on a commercial. Yeah, a real car. The, it's a do- and it, it's interesting to find you see the real products with the fake products mm-hmm. mixed in there. So this this is I think a real Dodge car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And some poor, probably Playboy playmate, you know, oh. um, C- C- who's been who's been CG'd in there. Uh, That's right. And uh, and then. At this point, Jennifer is dying and she uh, has the key to the handcuffs that Susan Day has because Susan Day has been handcuffed to the uh, soundboard. And Susan Day finally gets the key from Jennifer, which is I just really like embedded in her pocket. It takes her a good 10 minutes to find this key. And she finally manages to get herself free. Thank God. Okay. So help me out with this ending. Because does J- James Coburn doesn't die, does he? He does, quite violently. Okay. Uh, Jane, okay. Dorian is investigating the shootout at the plastic surgeon's office and then goes to the rest of the events to look for because he, he realizes that the smoke generators the steam generators are reston generated or are made by reston okay so he goes to reston to Bingo. find out what you know find out what's going on there so he's at the event and sees the 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 presentation is now going to hell mm-hmm. uh, mustache man you know lying as a corpse on a table as a as a family eats breakfast around him Right. right we've gone to plaid people we've gone to plaid yeah it's ridiculous it's it, it's so silly and quite right. it's just yeah you know, at this point he's like yeah it's supposed to be suspenseful but he's also just like you know just hilarious <laughs> absolutely because there's a there's a ludicrousness about 
commercialism in general and, and about how we are so almost hypnotized by these little now in our case, these little screens, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to these big screens like back then. But these little screens get in our heads and they cause us to, you know, and almost as if we if we had a moment where something ridiculous happened that would snap us out of that hypnotism, yes. you know, then we would be able to be like, what the fuck? Like, I don't want to buy something from Sheen. Oh, no. like, no, or Wish or any of these companies like this is ridiculous. Why is this even on here? But we really don't have those moments, especially with people who are super addicted to their phones or super addicted to their computers or people like my uh, my boyfriend's father who watch YouTube all the time, you know, like um, there I'm sure, you know, there are there's some subliminal shit going on there that none of us know about, you know. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And so there's there's not a, a moment of like, oh, there's a dead body or. Oh, look, people are playing cops and robbers. Like, what's happening? We don't we don't get those moments. And so I think that it was important for Mike Crichton to put in that those those moments of levity to kind yeah. of remind us, you know, like, yeah, like this is a this is where we're headed. You know, and B, isn't this ridiculous? Yeah. And he's even I think he's even spoke about in talking about this film that he wanted to kind of push the more kind of absurd and cartoony elements of it, uh, you know, to because if it, if he didn't, it's like it wouldn't be as nearly as entertaining. Um, right. It would be too serious. Of, it would be yeah. too dark, you know. So so James Coburn, you know, of course, is, you know, they're doing the the cat and mouse hit between him and uh, Albert Finney. Uh, Dorian Harewood are. Uh, ex machina cop uh, comes down, sees uh, uh, James Coburn there with the gun that shoots James, you know, and shoots James Coburn. And James Coburn dies as with a, as a big squib goes off behind him and blood spurts everywhere. They're playing an advertisement for spurt toothpaste. Oh, that's right. That horrendously <laughs> named toothpaste. Now I remember. I'm so sorry. I was like sitting there going, I know James Coburn dies, and I yeah. know he dies during something, and I can't remember what it was. Spurt toothpaste. Spurt. <laughs> Wildly inappropriately named toothpaste. Uh, Spurt toothpaste. Yep. Everybody. And so James Coburn dies. Susan Day is free. Albert Finney, not a scratch on him, really. Well, he's still he's still pretty bruised from his fight with Mustachioed Man. That first one, yeah, exactly. He's still got his buddy lip, but he so him and him and Susan Day walk, you know, arm in arm, and then uh, he decides, you know what, I'm going to hit that. I'm going to hit that. I I've he's saved like, you her life. Find a new plastic surgeon because I want to date you now. That's right. I want to date you, and uh, and and she's like, "What, really?" And he's like, "Yeah, let's date." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's great." Baby. I don't think I can take any more of your dates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. By the way, your old wants to be my father. Is like, there's nothing creepy about this at all. Right. Exactly. That's when I thought. Like I said, I I kind of expected it to be like. Oh, like, you know, like we're this is the beginning of a new friendship or, you know, like that kind of thing. But no, no, no. it was the 80s. 
It was the 80s. Okay. So behind the scenes, do you have any behind the scenes stuff for me? Um, let me look through my notes. Um, God, I think we kind of, I mean, the, the, the thing that, it, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about commercials, just what it was like, you know, for me, my experience is working in commercials. Because one of the things the film does kind of tap into is that getting people's attention you know the idea of some commercial the psychology behind it is always about getting people's attention um how to cut through the noise and get people's attention to buy their product okay and as you know part of my job was working you know working as the colorist on on you know dailies for commercials was trying to work with the the director and dp and coming up with looks and how to get people's eyes uh to focus on it because commercials as you know as you watch quite a number of commercials uh they all kind of run together so they want to develop commercials to uh you know that that instantly grab your attention i mean that's why you bring in i always assumed before i began working in it that commercials were kind of you know anonymously made but instead (laughs) yeah no you Right. Very, very silly, naive of me. But no, you're, you're bringing in A-list directors, A-list uh, cinematographers. You're spending incredible amounts of money uh, to make them. Hmm. And because your goal is to pack as much information into those 30 seconds to sell your product as possible. And I think that's one of the things that the the movie gets right is making sure that you know for from an advertising point of view it's like if advertisers have the ability to hypnotize their viewers they would do that in a heartbeat uh and it, i think that's that's something that Crichton really kind of does really well in a kind of behind the scenes subtext kind of way mm-hmm. um and i thought that was really interesting like this is like the next step, and then he talked. I think he also talked about how like TiVo kind of changed it all with the uh, right. Or yes, he was interviewed, and he said that you know TiVo because with regular television before TiVo, you kind of had to experience all of these commercials. You had to experience all of the things that were in between the shows. You couldn't fast forward. You couldn't rewind. You couldn't stop or pause or you know. I mean, it was always like, you know, oh, the show's back on, you know, and like someone runs from the kitchen, you know, and like, oh, my God, you know, like, I don't want to miss it, you know. Back, of course, back when you, you know, 1981, you only had four or five, I mean. Four channels? Are, yeah. Two that had cable television, maybe not, but it wasn't right. as widespread at that time. I think, I think even if you had cable television, you had, maybe had 40 channels or something like that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, so. You, you were kind of locked into whatever channel you were watching and you were going to watch your commercials. Then I think advertising became a lot more sophisticated. And again, it's like, you know, using this technology to, to, to analyze where you're looking at in the commercial, I, I think was, uh, was really interesting. Uh, now, big gripe I have with the film, mm. it's sexist as hell. Oh, God, yes. Every commercial is designed, every bit of advertising is designed with the male gaze. Between my toes, you never know. 
and it's like, and the film even points it out and says, hey, you're looking at the girl and not the product. That's then, not good. And then you cut to the commercial uh, of the, the car at the end. And, and it's just a girl. Thing, and it's the girl in the bikini. In a bikini. In a bikini selling the car. It's like, wait, you're, didn't you just say don't, you're looking at the girl, not the, what do you do with? Uh-huh. So, uh, which, which, <laughs> which may have been a combination of the fact that it was made in the 80s, but also a combination of that and probably Michael Crichton's predilection towards Playboy Playmates. Of course. I mean, I, I would mean, think. I mean, Maybe. Maybe. He's only human. You know. Right. He's only human. <laughs> <laughs> boys will be boys. Um, yeah. Um, I, um, let's see. I'm trying to regarding think. Regarding anything behind the scenes, I, I can't think of anything other than the fact that the film did go over budget. This film, oh, he, uh, this film came about because he was trying to make Congo. Mm. And he yes. wasn't able to. The monkeys. The, yeah, the monkeys were not right. Uh, they, they weren't happy to do it. And because of that, um, he had a deal at Fox, I think, and couldn't get the right, or, you know, he couldn't, he, he kind of got soured at Fox. They didn't want to work with him after that because Congo wasn't, wasn't going forward. So he took this to the lad company and they were able to make Looker. Exactly. And I guess Alan Ladd had worked for Fox and been ousted from Fox and went off and started the Alan Ladd company. And um, which is the the longest opening of any production logo I think I've ever seen in a movie. A long one. Dot Matrix tree. (laughs) But you remember it. That's the thing. I remember the Alan Ladd um, the uh the logo from police academy that's I how i remembered it because i was like oh no i remember that's the movie that starts with the tree and like, i remember from blade runner since i'm uh, ah yes. it's like i nerd so yeah <laughs> so exactly so that's how you know i mean we yeah we we're like we like to think that we're oh we're above the you know uh like being being lured in by certain things but it's like you know we're no i mean i'm I bought a cell phone company, like a like a cell phone plan uh, with a shitty company because the cell phone was hot pink and purple. <laughs> That's a true story. That's a true story. I got sober. I moved into a halfway house. I needed a phone. Boost Mobile had just come on the scene and they were garbage. I mean, it took days to send a text message. But... I walked into this store and I saw a hot pink and purple phone and I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is, but I want it. And I don't care if you're a shit company because I'm going to sign up with this right now. And it took nope. days to send a text message. Days. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm, like I said, if you had a commercial and it had a Bichon puppy on it, I'd probably buy that product. I mean, that easy. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they knew exactly who they were targeting. Right. <laughs> Exactly. That's what I'm saying is, you know, even though I I make jokes, I gripe about how Facebook puts ads in between things and, and how I'm I'm being how my mind's being read and how I will say something out loud and it'll show up in my feed. Right. Yep. But those fuckers know what they are doing a little too well. Yeah. Somebody knows what they are doing. 
I don't know who it is. I don't know what kind of like it's almost reminds me of like the stuff where, yes. you know, it's like, get the stuff. You want the stuff. You know, you want the stuff, get the stuff. You know, Somehow. It, somehow this film is actually a little more subtle than the stuff. Which oh, very much so. Yeah. Because <laughs> Larry Cohen likes to just dr- like if there's a subtlety, Larry Cohen t- no, no. just goes right over that line. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Cohen will God, we should come knock it over the head, you know. Right. Oh my God. Uh, but it's true because it's, you know, like this is the world we're living in today. We are living in a world of AI. We are living in a world of deep fake. We are living in a world where um, we are addicted to all different types of screens. Mm-hmm. And there's this, you know, slot machine mentality where we just push a button and colors come up. You yep. know, or or puppies or music or whatever it is. I mean, it's like, you know, we're everything all the time, no matter what. Like we want if we want it, it's available. We can get it in some way, you know. So I this movie is. Yeah. Like I said, this movie is really timely. And, and yeah, it has some it has some uh, some misogynist issues, uh, some sexism issues. It's obviously yeah. very. You know, yeah, she's a space case, but she's a looker, you know, she's a looker. looker. Cue the song. Um, But at the same time, you know, I I really feel like, yeah, I I feel like Michael Crichton was a prophet. In a lot of ways. In a A lot lot of ways. ways. Yeah. Yeah. He knew he knew how to take a high. Like they said, he was the king of high concept. And Mm -hmm. like this is, you know, he knew how to package a, a a. interesting idea in a way that just became a very marketable, very self and, and how to, uh, you know. Yeah, totally nailed I, it. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I know. We're like, at this point, we're like, it's a really good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard sometimes to pick a movie that you really like and then do it on the show because you run the risk of that. You run the risk of being like, just really good. Remember that time where they called Ray Gun out? Right. That cool? Yeah, exactly. It's like, remember that girl's bedroom? It's awesome. Yeah. I was so pink. So glad that dog's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, sir, have a real job, like an actual Hollywood job where you do, do. big things that matter in the world. So yeah, are you allowed I'm to like share about it? Are you allowed to share about any I'm- of that? I, well, I mean, I, I don't, the problem is, is that what I do is invisible too, but I do work on, um, a lot of, at this point I'm working a lot on TV shows, uh, HBO has a new season of Man just like that, that's coming out that I'm working on, uh, or had done some work on, uh, and then I'm working on, uh, uh, currently working on Penguin right now, uh, for HBO, which will be coming out in 2024. But Very cool. um, beyond that, I can't, <laughs> of course I can't discuss those, but of uh, course, but no, I just think it's it's. I always forget that you're like you know, like an I, established I'm guy in the system, <laughs> right? Like I'm basically a person who runs a podcast from their parents' basement, and you're just and you're like, and you're like, I work on the Sex in the City show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! No, All right, but well, please make it sound glamorous, but it's not. It's <laughs> it's awesome. I just, I'm in awe of you. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, it, it, it's always so much fun. 
Oh my God. I had a blast. I love this. This is so much fun. And also if people want to find you on social media, if they are so inclined, yes. um, where can they find you? Uh, you can follow my, either my Instagram at David underscore Joshua underscore Smith, uh, or you can follow me on Facebook, um, David Joshua Smith, or you can follow me on Letterboxd, uh, or Twitter at Colorsmithy. Awesome. And as per usual, you can find Manic Movie Monday podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, stay manic, my lovelies. Oh, nope.